Ah, it's Maria. Welcome to First Up. It's Ratu. That's Tuesday, the 2nd of August. Call Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, we're going to go to the UK to find out if our once lovely LEJ has now become insufferable after the English victory in Euro 22. Also, we live from Birmingham as it's raining gold on the velodrome. Also, the mayhem of marauding monkeys on mainland Japan and... Why it was a no-brainer for Shortland Street to get on board with the government's recruitment drive for new nurses. We also had a character that we were quite keen to bring back, and this was kind of one that was really good for us because the character we wanted to bring back wasn't a nurse, um, but we sort of wanted to make them one. If you're not a medical person when you get cast on Shortland Street, you've got a very short life. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kia ora welcome to the 2nd of August, or as we like to call it, Elise Andrews Day, here at uh, First Up, call Nathan Rarere, aho, but we'll go to the UK, where all the glory is happening, and uh, we're the nation, they're still basking in the glow of their first major football championship in almost 60 years. Our correspondent, Ellie J, is with us, kia ora Ellie, how are you? Kia ora, Nate. You're absolutely right. There's one big story in the UK at the moment, and it is the women's Euros. Um, so last night was the final of the football competition, England versus Germany. It was at Wembley Stadium, and it was electric. So it was the biggest crowd they've had at a Euros match ever, men's or women's. Uh, and it was just, I don't know how to describe it to you. It was just brilliant to see, and it's brilliant today. The atmosphere still um, for these women who've won. They won 2-1. At full time, it was one all and the atmosphere was very tense and the second goal was scored just at the end of extra time that's the extra 30 minutes of play you get if it's a a full-time draw and the crowd went wild so I was watching it in a in a packed pub in Hackney and everybody loved it I mean I've I've watched quite a lot of um, sport, quite a lot of men's football as well in pubs or stadiums. And I have to say the atmosphere, it was still tense, but almost lighter, happier. Um, They said the crowd at Wembley was two thirds women and full of families and had this real festival atmosphere. So today, I mean, we've seen all these images of the press conference yesterday. The coach, Sarah Viegman, was talking calmly and this whole uh, England team came in shouting and singing and climbing. Uh, Mary Earps, the goalie, got up on the table. Um, And so today what we've seen is kind of congratulations from all kinds of people, including the Queen as well. She said uh, the team have set an example that will be an inspiration for girls and women today. Um, And that's what we're seeing today is there's this huge party in Trafalgar Square as well in central London um, where the team came out. They they said there'd been non-stop partying since the end of the match yesterday. And all the talk today has been about carrying on this legacy and building on this legacy. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the fact that many schools in the UK haven't ever offered um, football as an option in um, PE lessons for girls. And also just a couple of years ago, stadiums didn't want to host women's matches or women's Euros matches, Mm. any of them, because they thought it's not going to, nobody's going to come. And well, even pre, saying, well, pre-tournament, hey, hey, Ali, like, remember there was there was a couple of big stadiums, but then a lot of them were still very small. I know that some of the group games for games not involving England were at training grounds. Um, so that's great that, you know, you get this giant crowd that you actually get everybody swept up and it looks like a great time too. And hopefully that changes the attitude. And maybe those old farts, they just needed to see that. Absolutely. I mean, the FA are saying now that they want 
um, 120,000 more girls to be playing football regularly in the next two years. But it's only, I mean, in 1971 was the time they lifted the ban on women playing in stadiums across the UK. So it hasn't actually been that long. <laughs> what were they going to do? Happy. Were they going to get in and, and move things around? Were they? Well, we can't have the women in here playing. Goodness. That's <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. crazy. Just seems crazy. But hey, I mean, it's a hugely uplifting moment for everyone. It is, and I think it's great. It was great too. And I can imagine you there in the pub up on the table, clapping away. Like you do. Hey, tell me this: um, the the race for the new prime minister is interesting. I didn't realise that Liz Truss's dad seems to disagree so heavily with her politics on Twitter. But tell me about the um the race to find the new prime minister with Rishi Sunak there and Liz Truss. Yes. So when we spoke last week, they were just about to have another televised debate. In the past couple of days, so a bit of a run through, Rishi Sunak has come out today with a new tax policy. He's saying he's going to cut income tax by 20%, um, but it could be as far off as 2029. So he's saying by the next parliamentary run. Um, Liz Truss's team have come out and said, this is, that's crazy. We'll cut taxes within the next seven months, not seven years. Um, And also with a sort of bizarre policy for Oxford and Cambridge, Um, Liz Truss has come out and said students who get straight A's stars at A-level will automatically get an interview at Oxford or Cambridge, um, which is a bit of a bizarre thing. It's kind of today... Conservative Party members will see these ballots come out and the vote's going to happen. But at the moment, it's just this trading of policies, uh, a kind of small attacks on each other. And we won't find out how that vote has gone until September. Right. There we go. Ellie, thank you so much for your time there. She's celebrating it. She had her face painted white with a big red cross on it. Ellie J. And it is 11 past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radity. This morning, we just wanted to know, are you a Commonwealth Games expert now? Uh, A friend of mine, Andrew Clay, comedian, used to do a great piece about how he said you sit there and you watch the Com Games of the Olympics and they land some gymnastics and you go, wow. And then about two days later, you're like, oh, now they're landing, you idiot. Like that. Are you a Commonwealth Games expert now? Which one have you enjoyed? Also, too, what do you make of the, the music during it, during the bowls? I saw some in the swimming yesterday. I wasn't quite sure about that. 2101 or email us the old-fashioned way first up at rnz.co.nz well news from japan now where monkeys are on the loose yes there's been a spate of monkey attacks uh, around the city of yamaguchi uh, which has residents on edge you want to listen to that but first our correspondent chris gilbert explained prime minister fumio kishida's latest call to put an end to nuclear weapons yeah the um japanese prime Prime Minister Kishida is on a flying one-day visit to New York, uh, where he has become the first Japanese Prime Minister ever to address the uh, UN Nuclear Non-Proliferation Review Conference. Hmm. Uh, He has attended before as Foreign Minister, but he's the first Japanese Prime Minister to to speak at the the general debate there uh, overnight New Zealand time. And so in his speech, he's pretty much uh, gone very, you know, like anti-nuclear weapon, as you would expect a Japanese Prime Minister to do, um, calling for an end to nuclear weapons and for nations uh, to provide greater transparency into their nuclear stockpiles and their nuclear capabilities. That, of course, is probably a not-so-subtle elbow-elbow wink-wink towards North Korea there. Uh, Kishida, of course, is also a representative of Hiroshima Prefecture, um, you know, one of the two places in Japan that was uh, bombed by the United States with the nuclear bomb there, mm. and uh, pointed to how Japan is the only country to have witnessed uh, the use of atomic weapons in the past. Of course, this is fine while Japan is under the United States nuclear uh, weapon umbrella still. Uh, this is the same 
same Prime Minister Kishida who wants to reinstate Japan's right to wage war, who wants to change the constitution to make an army legal again. He wants these things and he can do these things uh, because Japan is protected by, you know, as I said, the United States on top of umbrella. He has also uh, promoted a new scheme to incentivize foreign visitors to come to Nagasaki and come to Hiroshima to learn about the impacts of the bombs being dropped there, which is also quite ironic at the moment as no one's really kind of allowed to come visit Japan at the moment because of the pandemic. Um, probably, yeah, probably also it's a, it's a PR move domestically uh, because even though the LDP and the ruling coalition are on side with changing the constitution to make war legal again, the Japanese public are very, very anti-war. And uh, so the LDP is going to need the public on side by saying like, hey, look, no, it's okay. We're still very anti-nuclear people. But hey, maybe we can have an army at the same time. Um, so there's a lot of things going on there. And uh, I think he's uh, probably on a plane back to Japan right now as we speak. Oh, wow. Hey, Chris, I mean, it's, it's enough time to buy a Yankees hat, so that's good. You, now, it's in Japan, though, you've still got quite a few nuclear power plants that run power to cities, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you would think that after um, the Fukushima disaster, after the 2011 earthquake, that uh, they might have been looking to move on there. But about nine uh, have been looking to be reinstated by Kishida. They all kind of shut down for a minute there. Um, I still can't believe anybody put a nuclear power plant on the beach. Um, but that is something that did happen in Fukushima and uh, hopefully something they're not going to repeat. Um, but nuclear power uh, has been a debate over the last year, especially, and, and some uh, nuclear power plants throughout the country have just been kick-started into gear again. So, yeah, it's very much a nuclear-powered country. When I was a kid, the greatest TV show in the world was called Monkey, right? Monkey Magic. And he flew around on a, <laughs> on a cloud, and he could beat everything up, and he was the greatest. But it's not a good time to be around the monkeys of Japan, particularly when the word marauding is involved. Chris Gilbert, tell me about the Japanese city terrorised by marauding monkeys. It's Yamaguchi again, Nate. It's Yamaguchi. Like, <laughs> I love this place. Anytime something goes, yeah. Anytime something goes down, for some reason, it's in Yamaguchi. Um, Yamaguchi is being terrorized by marauding monkeys. I mean, we can laugh about it. No, I mean, people have been hurt, but not seriously hurt. So you know, we can laugh about it. Um, I, uh, so at the time that I first sent you the story, uh, Nate, about a week ago, mm. there had been 42 monkey attacks in the city of Yamaguchi. There have now been 66. Um, and I thought we have to talk about this, guys. I saw a headline the other day saying that there had been nine monkey attacks in one day in Yamaguchi. So something is uh, – it's a massive macaque problem in Yamaguchi. Um, so what effectively is happening is uh, there's lots of mountains – around uh, the city and macaques are very you know common throughout all of japan i saw one just over the weekend yeah. and uh, these monkeys are now going into the city and they're very determined because they're opening windows you know they're going through vents you know with knives in their teeth not really but you know like they're breaking into people's homes you know and they're like uh, here are some um accounts uh one man said i heard crying so i went downstairs and found a monkey hunching over my child. Oh my, oh my God. God, can you imagine? No, that's terrible. Another man in his 70s had his foot bitten while he was sleeping after a monkey broke into his fourth-story apartment building. Um, as I said, there have been 66 attacks now. Um, originally, the city tried to hunt them with tranquilizer guns, and, but they weren't even really sure if it was just one, you know, like really brutal monkey or a whole posse of them. They've now confirmed that they've caught two of them. 
Um, one of them, I think, uh, was like an Indonesian guy in a dorm. He was, you know, a monkey broke in in the middle of the night, and he just chased him and put a put him in a bag and got some scratches on his arms. And so they've caught two, and the two culprits have been tranquilized, and I think they've actually been put down now. Oh. And uh, they're warning locals uh, to securely. I, yeah, I mean, I, I had the same reaction. Like, it, it is quite sad that um, you know they, they they have you know they are no longer with us. But I think that it, in this case, that like if they do have a couple of monks that keep coming back over and over and over again mm. they've kind of learned the behavior you know to con- continue doing it you know and and japan like not the country with the best animal rights you know record in the world but i think in these situations they usually try to act as humanely as possible so there must be extenuating circumstances there um but they are warning locals to lock up their homes because there might be more monkeys on the loose and if they see any to avoid eye contact so there you go nate and yamaguchi it's all happening always avoid the eye contact with a monkey that's our japan correspondent chris gilbert Eighteen and a half past five. If you've ever been mugged by a monkey or another animal from overseas, let us know two one zero one. Perhaps taking a delightful video of something and it just runs off with your camera or your shoe or your wallet. Uh, I'm Nathan Rarity. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. So coming up today, you are going to hear before six o'clock from a former Shortland Street nurse on attracting people to the real life nursing profession. And we will go to Birmingham because it's absolutely raining medals for the news for the New Zealand team. Local democracy reporting program time now and. This morning we're in South Auckland with the marvellous Stephen Forbes. He's been reporting on a former government minister whose name you might recall and his bids to return to politics. Former National MP Morris Williamson, who resigned as the minister due to a serious error of judgments, now seeking a seat on the Auckland Council. He's expected to stand for one of the two seats in the Howick Ward. The former MP for Pakaranga resigned as a minister in 2014 after it was revealed he'd contacted the police to discuss their prosecution of a National Party donor. Don Walu, who was facing domestic violence charges. Then Prime Minister John Key described it as a serious error of judgment. Williamson said on Tuesday last week, while his actions were an error of judgment, it shouldn't affect people's trust in him as a candidate. said he was not sure at the time if Don Walu was a National Party donor and described him as someone he knew from down in Pawanui. But political analyst Bryce Edwards, who runs Victoria University's Democracy Project, said a lot of people might not remember the details around his resignation in 2014, but he said the announcement was bad timing as an unrelated serious fraud office trial concerning political donations to the National and Labour parties started last week. Ah, so he said, yeah, there might be enough time everyone's forgotten about it, and then he's reminded everyone about it. So that's that's good. Bryce Edwards said he thought uh, his resignation could come back to haunt him. And uh, Bryce Edwards said the public has become increasingly suspicious of wealthy individuals donating to political parties. And Williamson was the ultimate backroom politician connected to people with the party. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, also, you've been reporting on, this is quite interesting here, some some criticism facing one of the Auckland mayoral candidates, Leo Malloy, who's got himself in the news cycle quite a bit, I should say. What's this, the communities against alcohol harm? What's this about? He made some comments in a recent mayoral debate that was held at Mangere's Nafari Wati at Marae, and the event was attended by mayoral candidates Viv Beck, Fesso Collins, Craig Lord and Leo Malloy. Mm. A member of the public asked him what he would do to reduce the number of liquor outlets in South Auckland. And Malloy 
agreed that the availability of liquor in South Auckland was a problem, but he said to control the number of liquor outlets, people in the community need to stand up and contest any new licensing applications they're opposed to. But Communities Against Alcohol Harms Grant Ewardson, who's a lawyer himself and attends uh, liquor licensing hearings every week, said his group has been campaigning against new liquor outlets in South Auckland for over 10 years. Mm. And he said the existing system favours those who hold the liquor licence. Yeah, well, I so guess it Ewardson's does. Yeah, yeah. And, and then so what did Leo Malloy say in response to that? He said he could understand the frustrations people have with a number of liquor outlets in South Auckland, but Malloy said there are limits to what restrictions the council can impose on private enterprise, and he said community groups can already oppose liquor outlets opening or operating in the the areas through the district licensing committee process. But it comes at a time when the Auckland Council it released its provisional local alcohol policy in 2015, and it's been locked in a legal battle with foodstuffs and countdown owners Woolworths over been changes to its liquor licensing yeah. uh, under its liquor licensing policy it was it was planning to a temporary freeze in the number of new liquor bottle shops places like South Auckland and also wanted to restrict the trading hours of off licenses to ensure they closed by 9 p.m a court of appeal decision last year found in the council's favor the supermarkets have now decided to appeal to the Supreme Court with a hearing expected to take place in September that's LDR South Auckland reporter Stephen Forbes Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The 2nd of August is this day of our life. That's what we all agreed on at the meeting, we're going to call it. A couple of actors who are dead now, but you will remember them fondly. Uh, If you remember Archie Bunker, Carol O'Connor was his name, born in 1924, won an Emmy Award. you are. And also Peter O'Toole, who I only know from Lawrence of Arabia and just having beautiful eyes on the internet, my goodness me. Uh, I remember I went to see that movie, Lawrence of Arabia, and uh, it was when I was on, it was when I was an exchange student and my family and I went and boy, we had to get up and walk around and lie in certain parts of the movie theatre and get up and go to other bits. We had a complaining seven-year-old, don't take a seven-year-old to like a four and a half hour movie, it's way too long. I don't remember what happened. There was a lot of sand. He was really handsome. England probably won. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, actress Mary Louise Parker, who if you watch the very, very good series Weeds, uh, she played Nancy Botwin in that one. Uh, speaking of Weeds, in this day in 1937, the Marijuana, spelt with an H, Tax Act of 1937 was passed in America, uh, which there's the uh, effect basically rendered uh, marijuana illegal. Uh, it's been in New- uh, illegal in New Zealand since 1975. I googled it. That's just prior to Nambassa. Hard luck on that timing. Uh, cannabis is the fourth most widely used recreational drug in New Zealand after caffeine, alcohol and tobacco. Arts and Culture Desk looks like this today. In 1961, this was the first day, the 2nd of August, that uh, the Beatles played ever at Liverpool's Cavern Club. And the movie American Graffiti came out this day in 1973 at the Locarno International Film Festival in Switzerland. And that is the day of your life that you like to call the 2nd of August. in life are free but you can give them to the birds and bees I want money. Joining us now from our business team is Nicholas Poynton Kia ora Nicholas Good morning Ever been mugged by a monkey overseas? 
No, but I, no, well, I've had run-ins. <laughs> yeah. I've had run-ins because I remember as a kid, my family went to Malaysia and we went up to, oh my lord, it all escapes me now, but yeah. going up to where the big kind of statues are yeah. on the hill and monkeys around everywhere, had some fruit in my hand, the monkey took the fruit. <laughs> honestly, it was me or the fruit, so I'm glad yeah, they took just, the fruit. I imagine you just throw yeah, it at yeah, them, right? No, yeah. it's terrifying. I think so too. Um, so you delivered quite quickly. Um, tell me about this story here is it realistic to expect your online shopping to arrive in four hours because people want it now this to me is absolutely crazy so we have this this company which is in the same vein as uber it's called uh, sherpa an australian firm they say they call themselves a disruptor i wish companies could use normal language to describe themselves but they are a disruptor in new zealand's quote last mile retail delivery segment but essentially they are the uber of delivery and um, they've done some market research about what people expect when it comes to same day same day delivery apparently 30 percent of respondents want deliveries done within four hours rather than just the same day but this company says that in most cases, they can do it in two hours, which to me, absolutely bonkers, right? Like, mm. that, is, that is nuts. Are they waiting at the shop? <laughs> well, I, you know, it makes you think, when, when you have companies like this starting, what, cre- what kind of jobs is it creating? It's just these people who are just constantly in their cars, just surveilling the streets, waiting for the phone notification to go off, yeah. beelining it to some supermarket, then straight to your house to get there as soon as possible. Gotta drop off this bread maker! Oh, and I also think, look, 30% of respondents want this, but is it reasonable for them to expect it? But this company thinks that they have they have cornered a new segment of the market. They say that their research shows that customers are willing to pay an up to an extra $15 in delivery just to get things done okay. super quickly. Um What's their name again? They're called Sherpa. Sherpa. An Australian firm. Uh, they, I, I, this is, I think they're just, they're just launching New Zealand. Right. They've, they've signed a deal with one of the supermarkets. The, the plan for them is to expand and capture, sign on with more retailers. You could probably see them teaming up with more of, um, maybe less food places, but maybe some consumer goods. Yeah. Maybe alcohol and drink, things like that. <laughs> bring me my booze. Yeah, bring, my, bring me my booze in 30 minutes, please. So be in four hours while I've still got a buzz on. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it's just these sorts of businesses. I just, I obviously there's money to be made and um, for them, but I just think about what, what quality of work are they yeah. actually creating. Where are the margins and, and yeah, what are you getting paid? Exactly, you know, it's just going to create a, just even more gig workers. Um, but look, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think no. they could make money from it. I should also say that this survey was of 395 respondents, which I'm pr- look, I'm not a statistics expert, it's very uh, expert, but doesn't seem particularly no. relevant. But look, they probably thought, don't let the numbers get in the way of a All good right. story. So. Nicholas, thank you very much for your time. First up, audience, you can try Sherpa if you like, and just tell us, is it actually any good? Does it work? Yeah, you, you can. Look, there's not an ad for it, we're just saying, if you do. <laughs> no, how about I say that? If you do use it, let us know. Few. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. You can buy things with your New Zealand dollar. You can buy 63.45 US cents, 90.18 Australian cents, 61.76 Euro cents, 51. 
1.67 British pence, 4.31, 83.53 Japanese yen, and for an ounce of gold, you will pay $2,785.82 New Zealand cents. Well, speaking of gold, let's go to Birmingham right now, uh, where our Commonwealth Games reporter Felicity Reid is there under a massive pile of gold medals collected by New Zealanders. Kia ora, Felicity. Nathan, you're right. There was a flurry of medals after I spoke to you yesterday. <laughs> so tell us about uh, what's been happening at the velodrome. I mean, there might be people just waking up now to this news. Quickly, tell us about about a day of glory. Well, I hope they're awake about 10 minutes ago because that's when New Zealand picked up two more medals in the men's 40-kilometre points race. That was in New Zealand 1-2. Aaron Gate took gold in his third gold of the Games, followed over the line by Campbell Stewart with the silver. So that was 160 laps of racing. Oh. Full-on strategy. New Zealand leading from the front most – well, a New Zealand rider leading from the front most of the time – it's quite hot in the velodrome down in London as well, and it was a bit of a stop-start race. They paused after 119 laps to do a bit of running repairs on the track, and I think everyone quickly took on some water. But the New Zealanders um, prevailed in the end and pushed on for those points. But then maybe while some of your listeners were asleep a little over an hour ago, Elise Andrews also won her third gold of the Commonwealth Games, her fourth medal of the Games, and that was in her favourite event, the Kieran. She got the silver at the last Olympics in this event, but today she got the better of the Olympic champion Canadian Kelsey Mitchell. That's so good. I, and then I, even a. I've got to, got to be honest. I wasn't more, really. I, I wasn't aware she was so good. Tell us what else we got. And Michaela Drummond also took the silver in the ten kilometre scratch race. Love it. That's just so good. Incredible uh, to be there for that. I like the name too, the Kedin, which I think just means fight or battle. That's a great name for a race there too. So it's all gone wonderful in the velodrome. Um, and I know we'll hear your reports about that. What about at the pool? Because I, I've been so excited watching our swimmers. Yeah, well, we could be in for another couple of medals in quick succession a little bit later this morning. Andrew Jeffcoat swims in the 50-metre backstroke at about half past seven, and he qualified fastest for yeah, this. Yeah, quick, yeah. But after you've watched him come straight out of the pool, don't take your eyes off the screen, because straight after that is Helena Gasson in the 50-metre butterfly. Both of these events are obviously over pretty quickly, so very mm. few fruitful couple of minutes for us, hopefully. Oh, that's great. Okay, so we're doing there as well, and I know that uh, Lewis Claybert would still have a, a shorter uh, individual medley coming up very soon. Let's go to squash. How are we doing with squash? Well, the squash quarterfinal today between Joelle King and England's Lucy Tamel, that was a 80-minute marathon in a glass box, which was about 29 degrees. Ooh. To put that into context, um, Joelle's King is fifth in the world and Tamel is 28th. So it really shouldn't have gone that long, but the 20-year-old was put 22-year-old, sorry, was uh, pushing King right until the end there. And because that game actually took so long, it held up Paul Cole, New Zealand's other medal hope on the men's side of the competition, his quarterfinal. He was also going against an Englishman, but he sort of had to wait to have his turn out the back a little longer while the rest of the New Zealand squash team was sort of engrossed in this Joelle King match where she was really, really having to fight for it. But it's all right. They're both through to the semifinals tomorrow. I, I was watching a bit on screen. I saw three-on-three three basketball. I didn't know that was a thing in it. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, this uh, 3x3 has debuted at these games, and the tall ferns have been really dominant so far. This is a format of basketball played outside on a half court, one hoop, and the yeah. result within 10 minutes. So 
the Toolfins will play Canada tonight, uh, UK time. So under lights, their venue's not far from where I'm staying. And it's one of the more fun ones. You can sort of hear the music pumping all day and the ground announcer and the athletes really get into it. It's like they do a little you know, handshake or a little show off as they get announced. <laughs> New Zealand has um, Gillian Harmon, who has been to a couple of, com- uh, been to the Olympics actually before. She's leading scorer for the competition and Ella Fortu is leading in blocks. So we really should be on for a medal here. Oh, fantastic. Felicity, you've got so much to cover. Thank you very much for that, uh, covering the success of our New Zealand Commonwealth Games team. Uh, she'll be back uh, same time, same channel tomorrow. It's Felicity Reid. Well, uh, we get to hear from the deputy leader of both major parties every week. And this morning, it's the Turner Nationals, Nicola Willis. We discuss the government's cost of living uh, payments going to people who now live abroad and how we should try to maximise the benefits of our borders finally reopening fully. But I started by asking what she made of the government's announcement yesterday about its plan to sign up more health workers to deal with the sector's dire staff shortage. Well, I was listening really hard for the bit where he would say, and we're going to open up the green list so that nurses from all over the world can come to New Zealand and become permanent residents from day one. But he didn't do that, and I'm at a loss as to why not, because we know that's one of the major reasons why nurses from other parts of the world choose to go to Australia or England or elsewhere, and we need them here in New Zealand. Mm. It feels mean to me, though, because it feels like we're going to steal some nurses off other countries that might need them right now, too. Well, our duty is to our own people and our duty is to our own nurses. And our nurses in our hospitals right now are under so much pressure Mm. because by their count, they're 4,000 short. That puts a strain on all of them. Some of them feel like they're not giving their patients the care that they would like to, and they take that home with them. So by bringing in immigrant nurses, we not only support patients, we support the wider health workforce as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's one of the ways that US National would attract more nurses. That's some from overseas. What about, I, I guess, you know, having more New Zealanders get involved? What What's your strategy there? Well, absolutely. We need to have a workforce strategy which involves, yes, short-term emergency measures to, ca- to count for the gaps that are there, but we do also need to train our own nurses, and that is both through our tertiary institutions but also looking at ways that we can better use that in-work training option. So Mm. we are very open to that thinking and we are, you know, very sad to see that the current system hasn't provided the numbers of New Zealand trained nurses that we need. Yeah. What do you you make of the idea of involving Shortland Street? Well, I kind of find that strange because I watch Shortland Street as a young person and I think it did a pretty good job of promoting the idea of being a nurse or a health professional. So... I'm not quite sure what more they can do. I don't know. Is it going to have a kind of a big brother feel? And now for the public service (laughs) announcement. The government would just like to reinforce that being a nurse is great. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I guess the the proof will be in the pudding with that one. How good was Guy Warner's job? I think he just wandered around with paper. I don't even know if he actually had a job. That's where I was last at with Shorten Street, I think. Well, all I can say is I thought it made working in a hospital seem extremely glamorous. Maybe the show has changed, but um, (laughs) it's hard to see how it could do a better job of trying to recruit people into the health workforce. Anyway, anyone listening, if you've got young people in your life that you're not quite sure, or even someone who wants to change, think about nursing. Let's do this. Anyway, um, what did you, um, as you know, some people overseas have been receiving the government's cost of living payments. I was, like, I've, I've heard it discussed the last few days of what people thought of it. Do, do you know about how many people overseas have had that, that payout? I'm working hard to get to the bottom of that question, Nathan, because yeah. I've been inundated by messages from people around the world 
who've received the payment, who didn't expect it, didn't want it, and quite frankly are embarrassed that they've received it. In some cases, they haven't lived in New Zealand for as many as six or seven years. So that, that seems very strange. The only thing these people seem to have in common is that they have a dormant New Zealand bank account uh, and that they once had an IRD number in New Zealand and once, even if many moons ago, paid tax here. But the, the range of people that seem to have picked up the payment is really wide. I mean, it includes people, for example, who were here on a short-term working visa, some who have returned to India and the Philippines some years ago, and yet they've woken up to find that they're getting a New Zealand cost of living payment. So I will be asking questions in Parliament this week about it, because my concern is that this muck-up is bigger than ministers think. What, what do you reckon? Like, are we, are we up in the high? Is, is it like hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands? Or like, I, I just don't have an idea of how many it might be. Well, what we do know is that hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders and New Zealand taxpayers have left the country in the past few years to be resident elsewhere and to be taxpayers elsewhere. Mm. So the question is, how many of those have woken up to find they're getting the cost of living payment? That's what I think we need to dig into. And it should be the sort of thing that IRD is following up yeah. because actually this is about New Zealand taxpayers understanding what their money has gone towards. So these the people that you've been in contact with, they're, they're, you said some of them are quite embarrassed. They'll be paying that money back? I think they will by and large yeah. because they, they know that that's the right thing to do. They didn't ask for the money. Uh, and actually, it's not their mistake. The mistake mm. is the government's. Yeah. And, you know, another thing I saw too just recently was that a lot of businesses made billions of dollars recently, right? That's that's come back. And a lot of those businesses received COVID support money that in the end they didn't need. Do you think that should they be paying that back to the New Zealand taxpayer or should more be being done to recoup that money off them? Well, I'm absolutely of the view that anyone who wasn't eligible for that money must be required to pay it back and I note that there are businesses who chose to pay it back because they felt that in the end they didn't need it mm. and I think New Zealanders were pleased to see that. Uh, look the finance minister has been upfront that part of the design of that payment was about getting it out the door quickly to create certainty at an uncertain time and I can see the rationale for that but it did mean that it was very broad and what you'd hope is that people when given the choice will decide to do the right thing. Yeah um, our borders are fully open whether it be coming by sea or coming by air open at last how can the government help New Zealand capitalise on this? Well, I want to see tourists in New Zealand supporting our small businesses and our hospitality restaurants. But I also want to see that we have people to work in those restaurants and we have people to work in those shops because at the moment there's a real shortage of workers. And of course, people coming on working holiday visas and the like can help out with that. So I'm hoping Open Borders will assist. Yeah. I, can I just, I want to talk to you about a, um, an MP, uh, Stuart Smith, who did a tweet the other day, if you can just help me with this one. So he retweeted a, a Tucker Carlson interview with a fossil fuel guy, Alex Epstein, and wrote, great interview if you are interested in energy. And that's not normally the sort of people we, we head to, you know, I guess if we're looking at, at green energies and stuff, what what do you make of that? Is that, Stuart, is, is that with what the National Party thinks that we, we should be, is staying with the fossil fuels? 
Look, I haven't seen the interview uh, or the tweet that you're referring to, okay. but National is very clear in our position and Stuart supports our position, which is we're committed to emission reduction, to the same climate change emission reduction budgets as the government has committed to. We absolutely embrace renewable energy as a key way of achieving that. And look, I think like all New Zealanders, Stuart wants to see that we have secure energy supply and that we have energy supply that becomes lower emission over time. That's National's Deputy Leader Nicola Willis. We head to 6 o'clock. I'm Nathan Rarariya with First Up here on RNZ National. Still to come, we're going to speak to one of the coaches uh, of one of our medal winners. 18-year-old Cameron Gray grabbed a bronze uh, in the 50-metre butterfly there on Sunday. So we're going to speak to his coach in Tamaki Makoto. Plus, why Shortland Street producers got on board with a government drive to recruit nurses to help with the country's health worker shortage. The professionals of the RNZ unit heading to the microphones in the Ford Capri with leather jackets. It's the Morning Report crew. Guy and Espinar with me right now. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Um, Get that, you up for a day. Oh, it, really good. Yeah. And then actually, uh, this is a story we're going to be playing uh, later in the, in, the, in the morning. It's not the professionals, but the police are auctioning off um, some of their old Holden Commodores. And these are proving very uh, popular, apparently, oh. uh, at museums and auctions and stuff, because I've moved to the Skoda now, you see. So yeah, they, I've seen those, and yeah. they've caught a few people. People getting caught with the Mufti car, like, oh, I was looking for the brand new Holden. I thought you said that. I thought you were going to say they've only caught a few people with the Skoda. No. <laughs> see, my dad, he was a he was the Kingswood driver. That was when he'd bring the police car home. With the old stick shift, Yeah, yeah, it? with the stick shift. He was a column shift guy, and then I remember that. He was like, oh, these new ones, and he wasn't sure on those. But yeah, the Commodore. Those were good cars. Yeah, so they, they're in, uh, in the museum. So we'll talk to the police about them auctioning off uh, some some of their car fleet. We're, we're going to mm. check in, of course, on the latest on the Commonwealth Games. You guys have been talking about the medals this morning. It's crazy. But we're greedy and we want more <laughs> and a couple of good prospects in the pool, apparently. So we're going to yes. look at that. One of the big international stories this morning is this first uh, ship laden with grain that's going to be leaving Odessa in Ukraine. There's been a big Russian blockade oh, around there. So they're hoping that that is going to potentially alleviate some of the food shortage in, in the Middle East and, and in Africa if, if those sorts of, uh, if we get some momentum on that. So yeah. we'll be checking in with James Waterhouse, who's a BBC correspondent in um, Odessa. So we'll, we'll, we'll be looking at that. You, you've been talking about nurse recruitment in Shortland Street. I have. <laughs> Got a good chat coming up soon with Ollie Driver, actually. It's a wonderful one about because he's the producer out there now. You're not going like, to leave us for nursing, are you? You seem pretty enthusiastic about all I this. I might do after this. Yeah. Right, listen. We're going to check in with Margie Apa, who's the um, Health New Zealand CEO, mm. and also look at the cost of living payment. Obviously, lost a, a lot of controversy around the uh, gifting of this to people who are living overseas. Uh, but we're going to check in on just how far this will get you, yeah. uh, 350 bucks as a cost of living payment. Uh, we're going to check in with the Salvation Army to see exactly what well, people will be spending it on and what you can buy with it. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Guy. Well, uh, yes, as Guy mentioned, um, look, a lot of it's raining medals out there. One of them Cameron Gray picked up a, a, a bit of a shock win actually. He's 18 years old, won the bronze medal in the 50 metre butterfly uh, there in Birmingham and of course it's a, it's a sport that takes a lot of dedication and people are up very early including Cameron Gray's coach from the North Shore Swimming Club it's Andy McMillan who's joining us from there now. G'day Andy. Morena, Morena Nathan, thank you for having me. Look, thank you for being this person who gets up so stupidly early to blow a whistle at people in the morning and go, come on, get something. Tell me about this. When you, when you watched him go, Cameron Gray, how did you find watching that race? 
Oh, it was tough. It was um, yeah, anxiety, a lot of feelings you get uh, as I got when I was an athlete. Now on the coaching side of things, it's uh, it's a lot different. But uh, six or seven a.m. in the morning, I think I woke up the whole neighbourhood uh, after that last ten metres. It's good, so good to see. Because um, he wasn't expected to meet, or was he? I mean, I understand he didn't actually even pack a jacket with him. Yeah, I only heard that recently that he uh, didn't take his middle dice uh, uniform. He wasn't really prepared for that. But, uh, you know, 18, there's a lot of young swimmers at the moment swimming really well. And, and our message from home was to channel that young athlete um, kind of mindset and just be fearless and free. And, and it's going to come down to who's got the clearest head in the the race the moment. Actually, Andy, you're working uh, with a lot of people that you know fit into the Gen Z age group. They're quite a confident bunch, aren't they? Like, how do they, how do you find coaching them at this age, and what are they like with feedback, and you know how hard they push themselves? <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of grew up through the you know the hard stick kind of mess of Mr. Lang, but I find it's the kind of the carrot before the stick these days. We've got to show them what they can get and tease them a bit more to get there. And, um, but you know. They've got so much talent, so much ability, and and I think more uh, knowledgeable of what they're actually doing these days. Tell us the training week. Get, get, let everyone into what Cameron's doing. Well, in the thick parts of the season, we could be doing up to 10 sessions in the pool for two hours, clocking up somewhere between six to eight kilometres. Um, we don't do that for too much of the season. He's obviously doing one race, 50 metre race so he's got to do a lot of power and speed so we do a lot of conditioning in the gym a lot of explosive stuff in the pool and uh, a lot of skill work that's probably been the biggest developing area and swimming is the, the skill work the underwater work the breakouts the finishes and and his finish is what got him uh the one one hundredth of a yeah. <laughs> difference bronze medal well it's that thing isn't it i mean they swim a really really long way to be there i remember uh Danian once saying about when he got to Atlanta and his coach said to him, uh, Mr Lang, as you referred to him, don't worry, no one swam as far as you to get here. Uh, and it's just 200 metres, mate. Go out there and smash it. And look, uh, your charge did. Congratulations, uh, Andy. Uh, coaching uh, Cameron Gray there to the bronze in the uh, the 50 metre butterfly on Sunday there morning in Birmingham. There he was, uh, the coach from the North Shore Swimming Club, Andy McMillan. Is it you or is it me? Lately I've been lost. It seems I think it changes what I... Yes, the government will be working with the television show Shortland Street to set up an international recruitment service as part of efforts to shore up health workforce shortages. Minister of Health Andrew Little announced the initiative yesterday as part of a range of measures, which also include payments of up to $10,000 to help nurses gain registration here in New Zealand. To find out how the show might help with the country's health workforce shortage, I spoke with current Shortland Street producer and former actor on the show, he played a nurse, Oliver Driver. I asked whether producers were approached by the government or, you know, how did this come about? We were approached by TVNZ. We actually get approached quite a bit mm. by various organisations or days or, or, you know, we sort of track them all in our calendar as we go forward as well. So whenever there's kind of like Tokyo or or, or something, Samoan Language Week, or there's, right. a, there's you know, this awareness thing that's all tracked forward or even things like Halloween or, you know, we want to kind of, if an episode falls on Halloween, we want to make sure that's relevant. We want to try and be as relevant as we can, really. Yeah. And this one came along was, you know, was a request, hey, you know, they're trying to do a nurse's drive to attract more nurses would we be interested in helping out 
And for us, it was kind of a no-brainer because we do a show about nurses, and <laughs> it was it was one it was one that kind of like you know often it's kind of you know people kind of asking us to do strange things, and we're just like we don't know how to win, make that work. But this one, it's it's often a storyline of ours anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, nursing shortages or nursing crises, and and uh, you know we had a new CEO, and 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 it could be part of that whole so- story. So, so is that is that how you'll do it? You'll try and build it into a storyline that way. I mean, like, can you take us through the process of it? Like, who are the people that come up with this kind of idea, or the way it's going to work in? And you know, like, how many brains are involved in the decision before we see it on TV? Once it kind of gets through the sort of people at, at South Pacific Pictures, who's the parent company of Shortland Street, and you know, sort of everything gets approved and everybody's happy for us to proceed, there's sort of like four or five of us: the two head writers, Laura and Jess. Um, the EP Nick and and myself, hmm. and we kind of then go, okay, how can we how can we make this interesting and how can we make it relevant to the show? So for this instance, with you know attracting new nurses, we've obviously got nurses on the show, and so we were able to do something fairly standard with them and and sort of mimicking what um, is actually happening in New Zealand that there's a drive for nurses and there's an ad campaign and our nurses are involved and who gets to do it and is it exciting and are you going to be on the telly and all of that sort of stuff and then we also had a character that we were quite keen to bring back and this was kind of one that was really good for us because the character we wanted to bring back wasn't a nurse but we sort of wanted to make them one for um, future future you know do we want this person in the show at some stage we really liked what they did they're a really great actor stupidly we didn't make them a nurse or, or a medical person if you're not a medical person when you get cast on Shortland Street you've got a very short life <laughs> you know <laughs> and um and so this was one where it was like hey why don't we tell this story why don't we actually bring this character back mm. and through the course of it have people kind of suggest hey we're doing this juicing drive and you'd be great for it and she the, the character I'm trying to not give away too much yeah you're the character's really doubtful that you know they wouldn't take me I'm not who they're looking for but it's kind of like yeah they're looking for all sorts of people That's and cool. so for us it was this really lovely thing. We were actually able to kind of it generated an idea we probably wouldn't have had or wouldn't have been able to use unless this sort of offer had come along. Yeah. Do, do you find that the what you're involved with with these? I mean, do you have time to poke your head up? Because I know you guys are always working ahead, and it, it is hard work. It's constant, and it's a treadmill of creativity, which is hard to be able to do every day. Do you have time to see if what you've been involved with has made an impact? Like, do you think you will? be able to see that this might have an impact? Well, it's, it's hard to really tell. You know, we, we definitely keep an eye on the socials, which is always sort of a good indicator of how a very vocal portion of the audience is, is feeling. But we also get a lot of response, you know, a lot of the cast and, and people who are working on the show get a lot of response from real people as they're out and about and you talk to them. You know, you either get the, oh, I've never watched a single episode of Shaun the Street in my life. Yeah, yeah. Did that you know like... that? And then you they know, tell you all like... about what they don't like about it. Yeah. yeah. But you know <laughs> yeah. how TK's going with CEO. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I don't watch that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you get people who are really invested in it. And, you know, I think that's one of the, the cool things about the show is that it's been around for a long time and it's really a kind of a unique hybrid it's not really a soap opera i mean it is a soap opera it follows a bunch of soap opera norms but it's also kind of like a uniquely new zealand zeitgeisty show and so we're often trying to ref- we, we we want to make it feel like that what's on tv is just like what's going on in in the world yeah. and so um these sorts of things are always kind of really exciting aspects to that i'm just wondering since you stopped being mike galloway on the telly uh-huh. Have you had to go for any kind of medical treatment with a nurse around and they've gone, hey, it's Nurse Mike? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fun or awkward? <laughs> uh, it's awkward. It's, uh, the worst one was when I was on the show as, as Nurse Mike Galloway, and I, and I came across an accident, and I was like the second person on the scene of a, of a road accident. And, like, you know and uh, the first person who was on the scene turned around and said, thank God Mike's here. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> unless this is all pretend injuries, I'm no good. <laughs> that is Oliver Driver, Shortland Street producer, not real nurse, okay? Not real nurse. Uh, but uh, hopefully you might see something and want to get into the profession or even someone you know might uh, as well. Finally this morning, uh, some of your feedback has come in. Uh, here's one. We were mugged for our mangoes on the Luxman Jula Bridge in Rishikesh, it was scary. Yeah, uh, monkey muggings happening around the world. Be careful for those. That was to do with our story from Japan before. This one comes from Edwin. Morning and Nathan, to get the cost of living payment, you need to have had a 2022 tax assessment. So if they are overseas, they haven't followed the correct procedure for letting IRD know their status. This is a quick and welcome support for most. If you don't want it, give it back. Yeah. Cheers, Eben. Thank you very much for your time. You can always get in touch with us um, uh, first up at rnz.co.nz. We've got a Facebook page too. It's very nice. It's one of the better ones. Uh, morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin. Uh, from all of us here at First Up, I hope you've had a wonderful morning with us. Stay with RNZ throughout the day. Congratulations to everyone involved there in the Commonwealth Games. Just stop it now. We're doing so good. No, don't actually bring it. Um, please, if anyone's got a really, one of those really big stretchy bags, please send it to Birmingham so we can bring all the medals back with us. From all of us here at First Hope, have yourselves a wonderful day. Download the podcast, listen to us whenever you like, or we're back in your ears. Ah, poor, poor.